Why does every act of creativity or spiritual growth or love require equal parts of risk and safety? Like, you have to feel stable enough in yourself or in your faith, in your partnership, to be able to take the leap into the unknown. But you gotta have the courage to move into that space that you haven't been in before. Oh, unknowing. It's so easy on paper. I wish it was simpler. <laughs> I wish it was an easier process, but that's what it that's what it takes. And I can think of no person that embodies that ability to live on the edge and push herself creatively, spiritually, relationally than my friend artist extraordinaire Kimbra. Kimbra Lee Johnson is known around the world for her music. She's originally from New Zealand, has had an illustrious music career, um, kind of burst onto the scene here in the States with uh, Gautier's single, Somebody That I Used to Know, in 2012. She's a Grammy Award winner, an incredible producer. Kimbra and I connected on social media and, and very quickly became friends. One of the things that I appreciate about Kimbra, you know, beyond her incredible artistry and creativity is this raw tenacity of her soul. So even if you're not an artist, there's still a lot that we can learn from how Kimbra lives on the edge of risk and safety as she demonstrates and embodies a courageous vulnerability. So listen for what stands out for you as you seek to develop your own path of creative possibility. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. And with that, let's dive into this first episode of season one of Unknowing. You know, especially during this bizarre year of quarantine, having a, a friendship like yours, somebody who is so deeply conscious and spiritual and connected to their art and creativity has been a lifeline for me. So, I mean, I could just I could just talk about that right there, but I want to just say thank you so much, Kimbra, for being on the show and getting me through this whole last year. <laughs> the feeling is so mutual, Brie. I'm, you know, I started as a fan of your podcasting and just your presence online and all the things that you'd share and then to be able to come into your personal life and be a friend that could speak into situations and help you navigate through life. It was like, yeah, just beautiful for me to find a sister out there in good old Michigan, you know, so random. Yes. The <laughs> island that I am stranded on known as Michigan. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So to begin, I want to ask about the map that you were given. As you know, this show is all about unknowing and, um, you know, but we're usually handed yep. a map at the start of our lives, something that gives us a lens through which we uh, can make sense yep. of our reality. And it tends to push us in yeah. a particular direction, it sets us off on a course. So what was your map that you were handed mm -hmm. growing up? I was handed um, a doctor for a father, a nurse for a mother. I was handed a, a, a lovely brother who's 14 months younger than me, so we were very close growing up. Um, a family of intellects who kind of, you know, went to science for, for a lot of answers and were very rational and kind of grounded thinkers. I saw myself as a little bit of the black sheep in the family. I was kind of known to have my head in the clouds a bit, um, you know, living in imaginary worlds and, and, and really finding um, a place in nature and um, with, with friends, kind of, you know, playing with, with Barbie dolls till I was 16. I mean, I was really quite a little kid for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I really am so, you know, glad for that because it kept me so anchored to that feeling of being... Um, you know, curious and being like a kid at all times. And I think that's the part of me that was drawn to music mm. um, was the, the mm. fact that it didn't have this perfect rational um, path to it. I, I was never drawn to theory. I was never drawn to music at school, mm. but I was drawn to getting home from school and sitting with my guitar and exploring on an instrument 
um, mm. and also mimicking things that I heard. You know, I was, I was a big lover of pop and R&B music and also got very into like metal music at high school. So I had these kind of very strange um, <laughs> phases that I'd go through. I always I, felt... I'm trying to picture that. I'm trying to picture you as a metalhead. It's, it's real. Like I, I had these phases throughout that were always very um, personal and private and... I just, I was drawn to danger and I was drawn to things that had like an edge to them. And I think I felt always that I was being called outward, called to travel, called to go to other parts of the world and and probably called beyond a life that my parents, you know, perhaps envisioned for me. They never encouraged me to go into medicine or anything mm. like that. But, you know, I think they thought I would stay in New Zealand and, you know, live a, a relatively simple life. But it was clear early on that I was a seeker. And I, when I say seeker, I mean just, you know, answers that were simple and um, rational were, were never really enough for me. I was very interested in spirituality and um, things like prayer. As a young child, and music became an escape, a place that I felt like I could get out all of those feelings, all of those longings. And it was like a language that just sort of poured out and I felt very safe there and, and very safe on stage as well, interestingly. So I was performing as a young kid in musicals and then also doing performances in pubs as a 14-year-old and kind of, it was a place that I felt I could really be myself. Um, at school, I, I had friends in different social groups, but I wasn't particularly popular or, or you know, uh, didn't really have a gang. I sort of stayed on the outskirts of, of many friend groups and found myself called into more introspective um, mm. endeavors like like spirituality from a young age and, and reading books and, and the Bible early on and, and Buddhist teachings and that map wasn't given to me from my family. That map came from within. And I feel very grateful for that because um, I know it's a harder journey in some ways when you are given the, the rules, so to speak, or given what to believe. I very much got to come to a lot of these things without the filter of my parents bringing their narrative with it. And, and got to kind of explore my own associations with things. I, I didn't come with a yeah, prerequisite of like, this is what, this is the ethnicity that we think Jesus is, or this is what we talk, you know what I mean? Like the, the <laughs> things that, the cultural things that come with a Christian, you know, yeah. story. The really unhelpful shit. Yeah, yes. the unhelpful <laughs> stuff. Yeah, so I actually am very, you know, I can be quite non-cynical about religion in many ways because I didn't get that upbringing of intense religious dogma, um, I sought it out and it, it felt very intertwined with my searching of music because music was like a prayer language for me. Mm -hmm. It was like a space where I asked questions yes. of the universe through my music, you know? Oh my gosh. And I think we've talked about this before, but um, it reminds me a lot of the story of Narnia. Like, I, I see you as the Lucy character, as this mm. wild child instinctively moved into the trapdoor of the wardrobe, mm -hmm. into this other world. You fell through the version of reality that was handed to you beyond the walls and patterns and architecture and lines of what was handed to you. Mm -hmm. You had this instinct <laughs> to trust that there had to be more or could be more, and it's really interesting to me that that was in you and moved through you. I, I like to ask about the moments when you sort of leap off the map, but for you, that moment happened so early did. that I guess I'd love to dig into the relationship between your artistic and spiritual journey kind of happening at the same time. You say that your music became a form of prayer, questions you were asking of the universe, right, that yep. expressed a longing for more. Did you have at that point, um, when you were creating in your early teens, did you have a sense of God, of the mystical? Had that already been introduced into your frame? Or was that something that was still shaping itself as you really began to develop as an artist in your music? It was still taking form. I think I had a very deep um, like awareness of nature being all-powerful and sort of, you know, very, you know, New Zealand is an incredibly 
picturesque place. And I looked out at a view of a huge river that ran through um, the countryside and, and, you know, mountains and, and, and beautiful farmland and huge, expansive skies. And I always had a kind of deep reverence for um, what was out there and that mm. sense of being held by nature. It wasn't until I was probably invited into church spaces and some friends said, come along and have a listen to this, that I started opening up to that idea that is presented early on in you know, Christian circles of opening yourself to the Christ or kind of, you know, that, that thing of say a prayer and say that you're open. And whether or not I still subscribe to some of those sort of <laughs> say, put up your hand and come to the, the front. You know, nowadays right. I sort of <laughs> yeah. I cringe a bit of that stuff. But to be fair, it was a structure that I did at the time, I wanted someone to help me take a step. You know, I needed to be guided towards something. And that's where the structure can be helpful, right? So once I realized that this God or this force that I was interested in could be also personal, I then started to open up to that and and pray, you know, not through a lens of a church upbringing, but just through a very honest space in my heart, a very a very personal place. And one time when I was praying outside um, in the little tree hut that my dad had made for me, looking out at this in- incredible view, I felt an overwhelming sense of unconditional love. It wasn't particularly biblical or anything, you know, grandiose voices or heavily Christian by any sense, but it, but it also was a sense that um, there was a personal force that was invested in me. And what I knew of Jesus at the time was very much this loving, all-forgiving, curious, expansive, like wild, almost you know, wild presence that I felt invited into in that moment. And I remember, you know, this state could evoke tears and laughter. It was so, it was a high of sorts. I remember actually talking about it like a, a high. And as friends were getting interested in, in drugs and substances, I remembered sort of saying that I You're felt like, I've I had... done this. Yeah, I felt had I had experience. psychedelic experiences from a young age because how do you explain that? You know, it didn't feel like any kind of earthly love. It felt like I was being held and you know it's so sad sometimes when I talk about it because I go I wish I could have these experiences regularly but they come so rarely but they define such a huge part of your life after that because you believe that it exists Mm. and so now you go through your life you know that it can be trusted you can trust it and and exactly Mm. there's a sense of life being for you not against you and that was what led me to go to church and and follow that feeling and and try to investigate it. Um, As time went on, I found that, you know, the structures of of institutionalized religions became a a little small for the kind of God that I was following. Just a little, you know. Tiny bit. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was when my heart was drawn not away from the faith or or kind of going, let me throw out the baby with the bathwater, but rather Mm -hmm. who were the thinkers that were outside of the structure because I came to it outside of the structure first too. You know, there's a mystic in me that was led to this through my own searching. Um, And I say my own, but really I think something was calling me. You know, I've always felt quite called towards something and music was a vessel for me to do that exploring in public, you know, vulnerably before people through my music. Um, but yeah, the mystics ha- had this place in my heart, and I know it's something we've bonded over so much. I agree. They seemed to understand paradox, and that was something that I had wrestled with a lot from my own experience mm. of God or of the larger whole. It didn't make perfect sense. Yeah. It wasn't easy to stomach at times. It felt both dangerous and safe. It felt both feminine and masculine. It felt both all consuming and one but yet individual too like you know what I mean like there were there were so many things that I didn't have a framework for in the um the structured faiths that I was looking into and the mystics came into my path and they were from Christian circles from Jewish circles from Buddhist circles and and I just thought oh I found my people (laughs) they they know how to talk about this without fear of being too abstract because the whole thing is 
sort of abstract anyway and that's not a threat it doesn't mean that it's wishy-washy you know it can be abstract but still be very real and and potent and and I think I became fascinated with their practices as well you know their practice of meditation their practice of following this path of union which it was like the <laughs> I had the experience of union very young and then my life was finding my way back to that through the you know, through the um, the human <laughs> limitations that we have. You know, we can't be in that high space all the time. So we have to find practice. We have to find our people, our community to slowly bring us hopefully back into that state of union. But knowing that the union is real, knowing that the union is possible, wow, what an, you know, because I talk to people who have never had an experience like this, who say, I, look, I believe in these things, but I can't say I've ever had a mystical experience or something that's taken me out in that way. And, and I question that because I think more people are mystics than they let on. Um, and many people have had more mystical experiences than they give credit to. But I just feel so blessed, Brie, that that encounter happened so early in my life because no one can take that away from me. No one can talk me in and or out of it. I know what happened, and I know that overwhelming feeling of an unconditional love that took a hold of me, and it informs my whole journey after that point. It's the sacredness of your experience that gives you that authority. I'm reflecting on the fact that maybe because you weren't given a religious map to begin with, you trusted your experience. You trusted that inner compass to yield back to you what you could trust, mm. you know? And where where so many grow up hearing these messages of like, oh no, don't, don't trust yourself or the flesh is evil or, you know, right. some of those unhelpful, you know, as, as Richard Rohr likes to say, terrible anthropology, <laughs> just mm. terrible, <laughs> you know, that makes us hate or be afraid of being human. And yet, you know, there you were trusting your experience. And I want to rest for a minute on something that you said that I think is really profound, which was that your experience was safe and dangerous at the same time. And immediately I was envisioning how that is the sensation of both love and art of creativity. It is the safety of being vulnerable and intimate. And it's also the sense of danger of the unknown, yes. of risk, of yes. moving beyond the familiarity of what we think we know, which is what the show is all about. Yes, And so... I want to talk about the courage of of trust in artistic performance. So like when you are, you, you mentioned this briefly about the, the creative act of you being on stage and the vulnerability that it requires and how this has become synonymous with, you know, your own kind of mystical view of oneness. Because yeah. I do think that we often maybe limit ourselves from those experiences because we'd much rather just stay safe. Yeah. We'll take the safe and we'll leave the danger. <laughs> yeah. We'll take yeah. the known and the familiar, but we'll push out what's unknown yeah. and therefore push away the breakthrough of this other reality coming into ours. So mm. talk to me about what your process was. Tell us a little bit about your journey, maybe, as you became an artist that was a sensation at an early age and then threw you into the limelight and... Talk to me about finding your own kind of center yes. in the midst of that safety and danger paradox of being a creative and also being a mystic at heart. Yes. I moved to Australia when I was 17, just out of high school. And, you know, it was scary to start all over and to start my first record at that age. But because of that grounding that I had in this experience of unconditional love and a faith that... Um, my music was going to inspire and be important to other mm -hmm. people and actually be my way of um, of exploring faith and actually exploring transcendence. That's a word that I was really drawn to from a young age after I had that experience. I thought, how can I help facilitate places of transcendence for people? And that's going to mean not staying safe. Mm. Now... <laughs> Safety can be important at times, like, you know, having the structure of um, a, a religious upbringing or, you know, I, mm -hmm. I actually question whether that's always, I don't think it's 
necessarily a good thing for someone to be brought up with it from a very young age, but I think at some point in your life, having some structure gives us the safety to, to feel like we can grow, right? Like mm, just healthy boundaries and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and exactly. And like making my record and, and having a place to exist within. I was a singer songwriter. I was kind of making some pop music, but it wasn't really risky at any um, early stages. It was mm. pretty, it was pretty safe. And I realized that if I want to make an impact where I take people to those edges, those places, and the mystics have that language, liminal space, right? Mm -hmm. Like the spaces where you kind of hover a bit, then I'm going to have to break my own boundaries. I'm going to have to break my own places of safety. And that's when I became more interested in um, avant-garde music and, and things that challenged me as a listener. And and started to challenge my own use of the voice, you know. Um, I, I really like to hear a singer reaching, you know, whether it's finding the crack or the edge of their range. I, I loved that, and singers like Jeff Buckley or Bjork or even Trent Reznor, and, you know, like think people that were a little bit on the angstier side of music. I loved the, the push. The push and the yeah. pull, you know, all yeah. of that stuff. That And, again, the, 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 the combination of two... Um, forces. That was always something I liked in music because you're never just fully happy, like happy, just happy. No, there's always happy, but there's a little nostalgia or there's happy with a, a sadness because you're longing for that to stay or, you know, happy can be tinged with jealousy or something. You know, it's, it's always bittersweet. There's things in life that are always oscillating. And so I liked to use my music as a space to play with contrast. And I think of, of that relating to my faith journey as well, because I had stopped sort of attending churches when I was, yeah, I mean, from about 18 onward, and my life became a lot more about service. So I was volunteering with the Salvation Army and trying to really put my faith into an action-based thing that was a lot more about just what I did for people. Um, and then moving to LA at 21 and signing with Warner Brothers and the whirlwind of somebody that I used to know found me in Hollywood, you know, sort of, again, trying to find a place where I could um, ground and, and um, not be caught up in the flight of just all of that celebrity, which has always seemed like a, a lure to me that, that would potentially take me away from the space of... Unknowing, I guess like the, the space of unknowing for me is something that I have to follow. I have to actually mm -hmm. intentionally create spaces where I can be a learner and be um, humble. And I felt like the way to do that in LA was to get a little farm. I, I lived on a farm for a little while and I, I lived with animals and <laughs> I had this place of prayer that I could return to. You've told me, I know you've told me this before, but it's I so strange, can't. right? It's like, here you are, and I'm picturing it, right? Because I lived in LA for a little bit, and I'm picturing it. Like, here's the city. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're smack yeah. in the middle with this little tiny piece of property. Yes. With, like, goats. And, a sh like, a shepherd, too. <laughs> like, a legit shepherd from Mexico so awesome. who, like, helped round up the round up the sheep <laughs> and stuff. Like, it yeah. was wild. And the like reason I bring do. this up is, is because making that choice was creating a little vessel for myself where That's I could right. escape all the flight mm. and fancy of things and return to that space where I was acknowledging that that I needed stillness, that I needed both the craziness of the city, but I also needed the 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 grounding of a of a quiet place and of animals. And this is the juxtaposition that I am trying to um, draw parallels to with music that the things I became interested in creatively were also subconsciously things that I was interested in spiritually. So juxtaposing forces, you know, things that we, I, I was understanding that God could be both and, you know, that it could be many things at once. It could be, um, you know, understanding the feminine, understanding that God could be talked about in sensual ways and understanding sexuality and, and sensuality through a deeper understanding of God and prayer. And all of these things were, were culminating without a community at this point. This was all quite internal, you know. The community came from friends, and but a lot of it was being done on my own. So I had to rely heavily on that deep connection that I had to something beyond myself because I wasn't 
nurturing it with like a daily, a weekly church service. Um, when I came to New York, I, I that was um, six, seven years ago now. I started a community after craving, you know, that time with other people. And again, it was built on the outcasts, the people who had. <laughs> been in the structures, but had found that their faith had gotten too safe and they wanted to break into a, a deeper connection or a, um, an understanding that wasn't so rigid. Um, but they had benefited from their, their upbringing or where they'd been, and they now were looking for a way to expand and do it with other people. So this gathering, we called it gathering, came out of that space also. And it's just been a recurring theme in my life of like these places that feel uncomfortable and a little dangerous end up being actually the safest place to exist because you all have to break down walls together and be vulnerable and be, you know, searching together. There's a humility in not being completely sure and, and turning up at the table with questions, with arguments, with, with pushback on scriptures, with, um, I guess, trying to follow that same childlike trust of our intuition that says like, oh, I find that particular scripture sexist or so like okay let's talk about that and let's work with that let's not deny that because that's been told you, you know it was a safe space for people to be rebellious and dangerous and, and say that they yes. are losing their faith in God and that's okay and like you know I am really about that and again musically you're you're so wise to draw the connection sometimes I don't do it myself but musically that's what I wanted my fans to also embrace at concerts. I wanted them to take my hand in the first verse where it was all ambient and ethereal and then take them to this crazy time signature change and get the band just to go on a prog out and, you know, take take them somewhere completely different or hit a note that evokes this, you know, huge transcendent, I'm all about like money notes and performance because I think they, they are like those moments where our hearts break open and we go, oh, I'm, I'm being taken somewhere. And and I do think there's parallels. I do think that my exploration of danger in spirituality and like looking to the people on the margins is something that translates in the work too. I have deliberately stepped outside of the safe pop realm and I'm proud of it and it's taken hard work and it's probably meant less commercial success than contemporaries of mine. But it's authentic to my own search as a human, you know, it's true to my own life. I am a paradox. I am a juxtaposition of things. Mm -hmm. And the music has always kind of been the ultimate um, language for all the things that I'm uh, searching out within myself. It's so beautiful to me, this instinct that you have toward the humility in the face of mystery both relationally, like even as you're describing that group that you coalesced in, in New York, you know, that it's like this gathering, yeah. it's this gathering of permission granters yeah. toward experience, all experience and questioning and allowing room for not knowing, for not having the answer is to make room for surprising harmonies, you know, notes to come together. And I'm wow. thinking about how in in a lot of your work you bring these like unbelievable rubby notes right together to the edge and it's like you're creating this tension oh, i love that i love that you pick up on that because that yeah. is a, a feeling that's an experience that i deeply enjoy in jazz music you know i mean jazz is yeah. like it's really just protest to me when you listen uh -huh. to music that it, you know what i mean like and it was protest at the time because it was like you know black musicians being like we're not going to be boxed we're going to use this music to show that we can break the boundaries that you have put on us and and it's it is protest to um not conform and to me that music and and, and gospel as well is like a breaking out of um conformity and picking notes that have a, a rub is such a like cool it puts people vibrationally into an interesting space within themselves where they are not sure and they're like oh i don't know if i like that but then resolve comes and the resolve is this place of union that we go ah that feels right 
That yeah. feels right, you know? Yeah. And what is music if it's not an experience? I mean, we can talk mm. about records and, you know, the industry and everything like that. But I tell you, Brie, not having live performance this past year has reinforced to me that that really is the crux of everything. I mean, the gathering of the people in a room and taking them somewhere and hearing a pin drop, it is one of the most, if not it's the sacred. most, spiritual, sacred things that we can conjure up as human beings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you're naming a, a loss there that it's, it you know, it's it, the classic don't know what we've got till it's gone. It's like they're, you know, in the midst of the pandemic to recognize the things that we take for granted, these human acts that are ritualized experiences of oneness, really. Wow, and Im- embedded embedded in in our culture that we have taken for granted you know so you're right to name that it's so holy and i think all of us listening can think of a time when we've been at a concert where that has happened where we have yeah. been where we fell in trust with the person who was on stage and they took us somewhere they they yes. led us to that beyond and mm. You know, to to be willing to be led and to also vibrationally to move together. It's makes me think about the fact that it's like, yeah, it's no wonder that like, you know, the instinct of religious circles was to gather around and chant and breathe together because there's something about that, you know, coming together, the vibration that does transport us somewhere. Um, So I want to ask you now about your process, because it's one thing to talk about all of this and, you know, name it, right? Which is, here's the desire that you have yep. is to, Longing. the the wanting to offer this to the, to the world, to yep. dedicate yourself to pushing those boundaries musically and spiritually and really offer something that breaks ground. So how do you practice that right. in the day to day? You know, what does that process look like for you, Kimbra? And you know, I'm curious about those seasons because I know we all go through them where it's like, oh, shit, that was my last song. Mm-hmm. I am never writing again. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating <laughs> that we continue to tell ourselves that, that that will be the last song we write? It's I find it a really psychologically fascinating thing because it's yeah. virtually impossible that that's the truth. You know, you have yeah. built a practice all your life of writing as a means of, you know, um, getting out your feelings. It's in your bones. It's in your fingers. It's in like it's not possible that you just never write again because it's a it's a pull in the artist to create. It's actually something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that happens without your, you know, I believe it's it's called out of us by the creator, you know. Um, but we do. We, we get in our way and we tell ourselves that that was our last and we, we might not ever be able to do it again. And, we, you know, we probably fool ourselves that we are the, the ones doing all the work when I think so many variables come into play to bring a song into creation, whether it was something external inspiring us or a moment of defeat and despair where you just go let Mm. me just write a poem there's so many things that um pull us out of it I think for me the process is very much one of accepting where I'm at I've done a lot of work on this to understand that there will be seasons where I am just pouring out with ideas and just they are coming and it's so fluid, Brie. It's just a language, you know? It's mm. like, get me in a room with someone like yourself who inspires me so much. And I'm just, I'm singing beats. I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> rapping melodies. I got all the, it's just so present. And, and there are times when that is not the case, you know? And people are surprised to hear me say that because I come across quite prolific with my work. But there is real seasons of complete lack of motivation and a feeling that music is actually um, not exciting to me at all. And I think it's important we talk about that because people assume that musicians are constantly excited by music. And that's not always true. Like sometimes the very thought of um, sitting with melodies and writing a beat or or making a poem, it's it's actually, it's very, um, it's very scary sometimes for me. And I tell the reason why is because I am 
scared that I will not be able to express myself, that it won't be able to come out, that although I have it all in me, I can't put it into something um, tangible for people. I can't mm. get to the point, you know. And what if getting I can't to, manifest it? What yeah. if I can't manifest yeah. this feeling that's in me and I don't have the words, I don't have the melody? So that can then create a a block and also a, I don't want to go there I don't I don't want to give the uh, take the invitation because I'm scared that I won't be enough so there's a lot of you know that feeling of inherent worth that comes into play with process and these days I'm better at accepting that it's just not the right time you know it's just like it's okay if it doesn't happen today it's just you know and and maybe turn up in another way turn up and just jam on a melody that someone else has been writing and see you know keep the muscle working but don't try to create your best work in in a space where the invitation doesn't feel romantic because it's got to feel romantic it's got to feel like you can't do anything else but that like that's mm. the feeling you want to wait for and when that strikes Brie it'll keep coming it'll go into the night it'll go you know what I mean like <laughs> it, when it when the door opens take it for all it's worth but yeah. I, I'm less about pushing that door open these days because I have more trust that it will come when when the timing's right and I have a respect for how mystical the process is that's right do you know what I mean? You have to have a reference for that, that it's not all you. And there's mm-hmm. been so many great writers like Elizabeth Gilbert with their big magic theories and all of this about, mm-hmm. you know, dancing and dating the inspiration that's and letting right. it. Yeah, that's it's very beautiful because it really does, it does let you have a bit more humility and go, this isn't something that I just, you know, milk water out of a stone or something, you know, you know I'm just squeeze my, it. I can't squeezing just, it out. Yeah, no, it's yeah. something that is very... Um, dependent on many things coming together at once and when you said practice what I actually thought of was how do I get out of bed in the morning and orient my day because that is very important to whether or not I create and you've mentioned you know we've been talking about the power of yoga and I know that meditation is a part of your life and these are things that I try to also keep keep present um so a daily time of 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 stillness. And that can look like meditation. Some days it can look like opening up a space to just cry about the grief that, you know, has come into my life in the past few years and the grief of just living, right? <laughs> the grief yes. of living as a human. Yes. Um, you know, vocal prayer, saying things out loud, maybe a movement piece that just, you know, setting aside a time of day where I am not in control and I give respect to, I am going to make space for that force that once spoke to me all those years ago that I still believe in, that I still believe plays a part in my process. And, and just a lot of mantras, like a lot of, I am enough. Today, I'm enough. Today, I, you know, all of this stuff is not just fluffy, silly, like, oh, how to stay positive. It's all stuff that is feeding the creative child within that wants to play and wants to trust its instincts you said it perfectly that the reason why that experience was so potent for me from a young age because I trusted it I I I didn't start going oh that was probably all bullshit or oh I don't Mm -hmm. trust my body my body's wrong I leaned into it so so much of the practice of being an artist is actually creating a, a nurturing relationship with yourself so that when it comes time to create you'll lean in you won't fight with yourself and you'll actually desire to follow it because you believe you're you're worthy of it you know it's mm. like so much of this is about how we feel about ourselves if we're attacking ourselves and um in a space of uh, you know we've just been eating terribly we've been feeling rough we've been no one relates no one relates to that, to that. picture no. you just painted this whole past year no <laughs> not to say that creative creativity can't come out of that but there's more chance that you might go oh, I just I don't feel up to it. Or, or there's more chance that you might um, get in your own way with negative Spiral. thinking. Yeah. yeah. And so the practice is really like, how do I get myself in the shape to pounce on an idea when it emerges? And it's fascinating to me because, you know, I'm listening to you as a musician. I'm also trying to listen as one of our listeners of the show that would be like, okay, yeah, but I'm, I'm not a creative. And yet everything you're saying applies because we are all creative at the core and that's you know another premise of this show is that this instinct we have of mourness of offering of participation whatever that looks like yeah. is 
a creative, you know, contribution is a creative, courageous life, as Absolutely. you mentioned, Liz Gilbert likes to say that. Yes. And you talked about almost like needing to separate your concept of worth from being productive in a certain form, right? So it's yeah. like thinking about our inherent worth and value as just being, yes, just for being, yes, that we are becoming and being and that that is enough is to say that then you can relax the panic yes. and the anxiety of wanting to control, to produce and make, which is a, a version of worth that we know isn't really what is true about us. That's right. And I think that, I think that's something that anyone can relate to, you know, especially in, in at any stage of life, but especially those that are in our stage of life, right? Because yeah. we're in, in the midst of our careers, we're, you know, families taking care of kids in relationships. But I, I'd love to pivot a little bit and talk about this sinking into the depth of your inherent worth and trust. And, your, and you, you talked about your practice. And I want to dig a little bit further into your process because we've identified that there's this desire, this longing that drives yeah. you. How do discipline and devotion play in as well because I also hear little bits of that so it's like it seems like there's a harmony between these three factors in your daily life and kind of how you orient yourself to get into that clear space of desire to yeah. discipline the the mind the monkey mind that wants to run toward identifying with oh you're worthless you didn't produce today or yeah. can't believe you ate that bag of chips like whatever it yep. is yep and so talk to me about that, the creative process at a, at a larger scale um, with those factors kind of moving in and through you, the discipline, the desire, the devotion, how are they at play? Well, the discipline is, you know, small things at times. It's like, I will take time to pray today or, or meditate. Just the simple discipline of, I, I will make space, I will make an opening for observing myself as I am, exactly as I am. And that's really a a big part of meditation for me is just witnessing the world as it is, witnessing what God has put into my path for this day and just watching it and watching my own thoughts and how, yeah, how incredibly um, rampant they run and, and, and how unhelpful a lot of them are. That discipline, I just cherish it so much and it's something that I fall out of on tour. It's something that I, I fall in and out of in life. It's, it's very hard when you travel so much to maintain time zones and to keep that up. But another you know, thing that I find encouraging is that that headspace can be applied to um, many tasks, right? So mm -hmm. the presence of really washing the dishes. And we know this is a practice of Thich Nhat Hanh and some great teachers. Is like, how do you apply yourself to the simplest of tasks and really... Be and it is both discipline and devotion to be so yes. devoted to the task, but really like put some structure on your mind to be like, I am doing nothing else but this. And for an artist, that's a very against the grain way to be because we thrive in, you know, and again, I'm not just saying artists, creatives, you know, people who, and all of us have a creative bent, you know, we, we, we are wired to do many, many things and we're running around like, crazy all day and so there's something so powerful about just stopping to do one thing and and that's a a, a practice that reminds me that I can apply focus and really be very present to the task that I'm in which is what I try to do in music um, and in some days the inspiration will be there and some days it won't but applying the focus to the task and I love the word devotion because it has to be a love affair, you know, it has to be a, a space of um, relationship when you turn yes. up to your art. And if I can just focus for an hour on the thing that I'm doing and give it attention the same way that I give the prayer attention or the, the mm -hmm. space of silence attention, then that really is, that is a success in the day. That is a feeling of I, I, I turned up to the thing that I... Um, that I name as important and 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 as life giving, you know, which is music and and presence to to something bigger than me. Um, so small small little bites, you know. It's not these huge. I'm not a intensely structured person with my day where everything's mapped out to the core. It's just trying to move through the hours 
with 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 dotting times of being very present to either a, a melody that I'm working on or a lyric, and then moving on to administrative things, which is a kind of more um, crazy, you know, like high energy stimulation, and then slowing down again, returning to something that is that is just pure focus. And yeah, I mean, I, it's it's something that I honestly learn a lot from other people about, like talking to someone like yourself. I, I try to talk to others about process as much as possible so I can get tips, so I can get ideas, so I can try something another way. The creative spirit has to be around people. I find loneliness very, very... Um, I don't know. I just I I don't think it feeds us. I oh, think it's that the it's the worst for it's the worst for worst. our our essence. You know the way that we tend to operate because because it just we spiral when we're alone and in yeah. solitude. And I've certainly yeah. felt that this last year, oh as you know. Oh my gosh! No, really. And I mean, when you talk about that devotion, I really think that the way we hold ourselves in conversations with other people is a beautiful way to practice attention and to practice um, softening to inspiration. So when you talk with someone, you can either be on a small talk level and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, that's been a big part of the way humans interact. But I think after the pandemic, small talk will exist less. I think people will go and dive deep more than ever. And the practice of listening and really taking in someone else's story and being vulnerable with them so that they are more vulnerable with you. All of this is the work of, of create creativity. It's, it's creating openings with other people. It's softening inside yourself. It's being super curious about what they're talking about. And so time with other people, um, for me is very sacred to what comes next, which is the inspiration, you know, sitting alone in the studio, but being, very invested in my relationships with other people to be very present when I'm with them. I think that's, that's a way to counteract the self-obsession and the self-absorption Absolutely. that the creative life can, can conjure up. And I have been there and you're, <sighs> we're both type fours and we know how we can get absorbed <laughs> in our world. Yes. Um, so more and more, and maybe that's because I've been in quarantine for two weeks and I've done a month all up in a, in a, in a hotel room of quarantining and the connection of eyes meeting and searching each other's faces and listening to tonality and vibration and hand language and, and just all of this stuff is, we can float through that unconsciously or we can really treat it as though, you know, a manifestation of God were before us. And we are, you know, and I'm more attuned into that than ever. But someone said to me recently, they said, you know, you lift our energy with the way that you walk through the world. You have, you know, I wish you'd move back to New Zealand because you help us, you bring out positivity in us. And I thought, what, what might that be? And I don't know exactly what, you know, but I, I hope <laughs> to think that there's something in me that maybe by listening with, intent and giving respect and reverence to what the other person is saying they feel more able to be fully alive and that's a creative act that's it a is. creative act you you're know unlocking. that you're shaping the yeah. yeah the space between two people that's a devotion that's a discipline yeah so yeah people are very big in my process and you know I collaborate so much Brie it's like all my music is created in a space with other people almost all the time yeah because people are you know, inspiring at the end of the day. <laughs> mm, mm. That's the same hunger that you had as a child, that instinct for moreness beyond the the square boxes was this yeah. wild relational country that called to you, this place where harmony and paradox could rub up against each other and create something beautiful. And wow. it's that's exactly what I see in you now and in what you're describing about, you know, the act of just showing up, really, the yeah. act of really being here and being present. It's that's our practice. That's it. it I mean, is. you could really just say that just, just try to practice being present. Because when we are, the things that we take for granted, the magic of those moments, the sacredness of timing, the movement of people's hands, as you said, their voice, yeah. their tonality, you know, it suddenly becomes, it becomes a sacred expression of love, of beauty, of possibility, of creativity. Yes. 
Yes. That moves me deeply because I think um, for many of us, we can have this sense of, of, okay, but now what? You know, many of our lives have been turned upside down by the pandemic and not knowing what's next. It's easy for us to maybe try to burst out of quarantine in a, a really tough year and a half and just be like, okay, I just want to get back to how things were. Yeah. But there are certain gifts that we've learned during this time mm-hmm. and things that we ought not take for granted. We ought not move too quickly, you know, and this, this practice that you're mentioning, Kimbra, of, of really being present as the calling, as the place where discipline and devotion come together mm-hmm. to manifest the desire of love. I mean, that, what an invitation. <laughs> yeah. And people are an invitation. I mean, they take us out of our self-absorption because you, uh, you know, the theme of your podcast is unknowing. And how can you be an expert in another person? You can't. You have to walk mm-hmm. in humble and you have to be in a space of unknowing when you pay attention to them. And remaining like a child is very important to my creative process. The moment that I become cynical, jaded on something, an expert, um, you know, this is losing the essence of why I got into this. I'm also a big believer in remaining a fan, like continuing to be like obsessed with this new album and showing all your friends and being at the front row of the concert. Like keep that alive. That is a practice of like unknowing again, because it's saying I don't have real estate on this. I, I I am partaking in something that is just like, really mysterious and um harmony is such a fascinating thing in of itself because it's all about these moving parts coming together to create resolve or to create tension and so the more that i can be a student of harmony um in in both like music like observing music and taking that in but also in the world how do people harmonize where do they conflict like paying attention to that stuff is creative it's feeding into the process and it's vibration like it's it's really it sounds very kind of woo woo to get into all that but at the same time it's really what no, music it's, is it's experience yes. and yeah, yeah. It, I, I think it's that tangible. there's so many yeah there's so many links there between what we are trying to navigate in spirituality and also as as a musician what i'm searching for when i create a song i'm searching to reflect the dissonance of relationships, the dissonance of, you know, um, turmoil in the world, and then also the resolve and the unconditional freedom that that exists in in the world too. All of those things can can be together, and that's where we've felt limited with a lot of the more structured religious confines is that they haven't always made space for all of those things to be true. So we've had to start shutting out parts of our experience or pushing this off to the side and psychologically when you do that that's an issue too right because now you're at war with yourself you're at war with something split within yourself yes yeah and especially as women I mean I I think this is something that we've bonded over talked a lot about you know you've done a tremendous amount of inner work in restoring your own sense of worth and freedom and being and trust and embodiment as a woman because you know, so much of the music industry can just inevitably objectify and make it all about this this sexualization, right? But also on the flip side, let's just comment on the fact that neutering ourselves is also extremely unhelpful and, yes. you know, is impossible. It's counter. It's a split against our own bodies. And many of us were forced to live in that experience as women where we could only be daughters or mothers Mm. nothing in between Mm. (laughs) so the minute we hit puberty and our essence began to bloom our sensuality our sexuality began to bloom we were a problem Mm. and living with that shame and confusion and you know i bring all this up to say that that wholeness that ability to hold harmony and say yeah i can i can be a sexy woman and be a devoted you know student of the mystics who loves to pray those things mm-hmm. can coexist totally. has been one of the facets that i think we've both bonded with each other about because it's it isn't often 
talked about, that that is a harmony that is really important for women, but, you know, for all, um, you know, genders as well. It's this, the ability to hold the tension of being human and embrace the wholeness of our humanity and not yeah. try to shut it down because we've seen the danger and the evil that can unfold yeah. from that split when it is yes. split and pushed into the shadow. Yeah. Yeah. Playing with the, with the shadows is a big part of the music too. Now that you bring it up, like you can't ask people to go into the shadows if you haven't first done a bit of your own work there and kind of mm, like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like you've got to be the leader in it. You've got to be yeah. the one that goes, takes the step first. That's what the artist does. It calls out things and it, you know, and again, this is in all, all cases when you're working through family issues, when you're working through, when you're a parent, I imagine, and you can speak better to this than, than me, but you got to do that, that shadow work on yourself first, because otherwise it starts working itself out on them, and it starts working itself out on everyone else. Not on my kids, though. I've, I'm <laughs> fully you. enlightened. They are. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so it's like, that it, is, it is fascinating to me that, um, that kind of people, I don't know, like to spend time purely in the in the light or just playing in the space of safety because it's such a it's not a real um reflection of our world like the the mm. inner worlds that we have are so they're full of so many things you know so much turmoil so much conflict like you know just like perversions and rep repulsions and things that are just there's just so much it's messy in our, it's, it's messy, messy. In there. and yeah. like I want to make music that reflects that mess as well and reflects mm -hmm. those shadows because that's a space where people can actually feel like they are seen mm. um and that's what I think music does is it, it helps us feel like ah, okay that that's what it sounds like in my head and I can understand now that someone else feels this and I can, like the power of naming, you talk about this a lot, like when you name something and put a symbol to it, put a chord to it, put a, a specific phrase to it, it, it just has this place of finding itself in the whole. It's like a piece of the puzzle, you know, you'd like put the puzzle piece in and there's a little bit of a, oh, okay, well that has a place now. It's not rolling around in the abstract. And that's a lot of the time what we're seeking to do as artists is try to put those pieces into place so that other people can see themselves mirrored in, in, in the work. Um, but that means going there yourself. Like you can't, I say it. this to artists, like you can't expect a crowd to go up and, you know, cheering for the, the big chorus or something. If you're not first excited about it and first, you know, going, <laughs> jumping for joy and transcendent in your own performance. But in, in the same sense, you can't expect people to get vulnerable and, and quiet in their spirits to hear you perform a song. If you're not first going to go there for them, that's the, that's where, in, in all of life, you know, being the one to go first. Um, in conversation, for example, the one to take it there, to take it to those scary places. It's, um, it's leading. It's leading people through the dark. And that's the work. That's the work is turning up to that every day and saying, I won't just take the safe path. I will try to, to push a little bit wherever I can because that is when transcendence emerges. Like all of the moments that I can think of that have been so powerful in my own life have come out of slightly messy origins you know or like conversations that felt <laughs> uncomfortable and I mean this is why your podcast is this is an uncomfortable territory <laughs> unknowing I know I came up with a great concept super marketable no, but it's great <laughs> it's great because it's probably gonna scare your guests a little bit because it's very abstract yes but what yeah. comes out of that is this exploration into something and then you start finding within that moments of you know seeing yourself and, and connection with other people and it's okay if things aren't neatly wrapped up in a bow that's another thing that I like have learned over the years is like conversations that are tricky and about mystical ideas or about life after death or whatever sometimes they have to hover at the end sometimes they just are left they didn't like, resolve to that major that major chord at they the didn't end. resolve and so much of life is like that like so you know ask about a day for me a day in the life it's like often left hovering it's not like ah well I achieved that you know there's a limbo space that we occupy a lot of the time but work is being done in us behind the scenes and as long as we keep turning up to it and not falling complacent but actually continuing to engage um, 
there's a collaboration, you know, that's going on. And, and, and things start to reveal themselves out of that hovering. But I just think as a culture, we got a little scared of unended questions or, or um, places that, that, it's like with pop music too, like so much of the music that I try to steer away from is, is you know, it, it, it ties up all the, all the ends. Yeah. And there's a, there's a beauty to that too, you know, sure. there's nothing wrong with that, but it, it doesn't challenge people necessarily out of um, their comfort zone. And it's not as scary when you start living there. It's not actually as terrifying as you think to start living in that place. When I think of our friendship, I think we are always hovering in those, <laughs> those spaces. We don't ground much. Yeah. And it's a space of ultimate curiosity because no one is the expert. Yeah. Ugh. I can't think of um, a more profound way to wrap up this conversation than to just hover <laughs> In what you just said, because it's this place of just acceptance. It's a vulnerable acceptance of, of the unfinished sentence that is the unfinished melody that is our lives unfolding. It's, it's, it's that kind of, you know, the, the image that just came to mind is like this, the sensitivity of a bloom. That's just like the softness of the petals that just could open and be okay, opening and not knowing you know, when it's when we're yeah. fully open and not ever really being done with this blooming, you know, but mm. you offer such a profound insight into the creative life that is so nuanced with your own deep spiritual wisdom. Thank you so much for just sharing your heart so willingly, so openly, so vulnerably. Um and thank you for walking through life with me lately. I mean, I just, of course, I yeah. it's, it's to the point where I can't even imagine a, a reality without you in it. So, but thank you for what you offer the world as well, Kimbra, for, for being willing to take us further, you know, beyond the edges of our own comfort, both musically and spiritually. You are such a gift. Well, you do that for people all over the world too, Brie. You mm -hmm. take us to those places with your questions, with the way that you like frame conversations. It's like, it's, it is a both end. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, there's not one person guiding it there. I think it's so much of what you turn up to and how you engage people. So thank you for being you. And I'm so honored to be on your show. It's like mm -hmm. such a great conversation to talk about the, the things that, that actually drive the work. Okay, so we're trying to learn how to not be so dependent on maps and trust our own experience, but we still need tips on where true north is, right? So here are a few things I'm taking from this conversation, things that I'm adding to my inner compass. The respect for rhythm. Uh, I don't know if you feel this way, but it is really difficult for me to rest and um, sort of be in a womb-like state where I'm carrying ideas or carrying questions within myself without needing to like rush ahead to what it is and what purpose does it serve and the ways in which we typically operate in society. So respecting the rhythm, be in the flow. It's okay when we don't know, it's okay when there isn't a super productive or illuminated season of our lives second thing uh how awesome was it when kimbra started describing spiritual and creative devotion as being activated and actualized in conversation in relationships you know being the kind of person who typically tends toward being a hermit i think that's something i definitely want to lean into i mean imagine if we saw ourselves as creating a new world as we were relating last takeaway you can't expect the audience to break through if you're not breaking through <laughs> and this applies regardless of whether you're an artist and a performer it's just like what are we waiting for we keep projecting arrival points outside we keep projecting the power to external sources instead of recognizing that it's actually only in the descent, the journey down inside of ourselves, 
that we discover the key to our own freedom, but also to a freedom that is larger than just us, to a collective freedom. And I don't know if you struggle with this. I do. There's some part of me that's just like, when I'm going through seasons of unknowing, I'm like waiting to be rescued from it. (laughs) I'm like, okay, all right. I'm sitting here in this murky swamp. Kind of reminds me of the never ending story. Only 80s kids are going to get this, but... You know, where like Atreyu's like sitting in that swamp of despair. He needs Falker the dragon to come and rescue him. The point is, and what I'm taking from what Kimber said, is it's the breakthroughs that we're willing to go within in ourselves that initiate a breakthrough in relationship to others. So basically, you are your own Falkor. <laughs> oh my god, I'm such a nerd. That's it for this episode. If you found this conversation helpful or meaningful, please consider rating the show or share it with a friend. You can also join the community of patrons who make this podcast possible. To learn more or for some resources on this path of creative possibility, visit unknowing.org. This music was brought to you by Avila, band duo that I'm a part of. You can find this song. It's called Some Understanding. Download it wherever you get your music. And remember, as Rilke says, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart. Try to love the questions themselves. I'm trying to.